Hello and welcome to Financial Practice Made Perfect, a podcast of independent financial brokers of Canada. I'm Nancy Allen and I'm Executive Director of IFB. Today I'm joined by author, strategist, mentor, coach and practice valuation expert George Hartman. George has had a 40 plus year career in the financial services industry and is an insightful industry observer and prolific writer. His most recent book, Exit is Not a Four-Letter Word, How to Transition Your Practice Profitably and Proudly, was released in the spring of 2016, and less than a year later, it's already in its second printing. George has been a featured speaker at numerous conferences in Canada and around the world, and is the founder and CEO of Market Logics Inc., an independent firm dedicated to helping financial institutions and advisors realize the true potential of their business. So, George, where do things stand right now with Canadian advisors? Do they do most have a plan in place for their succession or transition? Regrettably, I'd have to say the answer to that is an emphatic no. It's one of this um, shoemaker's children syndrome. Uh, advisors do this type of work for their clients all day long. When it comes to planning their own retirement, uh, they just haven't gotten around to it. So I'd say they are woefully underprepared. And why do you think that is? Well, there are a whole bunch of reasons. I mean, there are kind of technical reasons or excuses might be a better description um, in that, you know, it's too hard to do, uh, it's too difficult, I'm too busy, uh, those type. I call them the terrible twos, in fact. Uh, you know, I'm too young, I'm too busy, I'm too important, um, you know, too much disruption, uh, having too much fun. There are, there are all kinds of reasons. But I think it really boils down to the emotional aspects. It's not the hard facts. It's the soft issues that seem to prevent advisors from doing it. And the real big one is that most advisors have no idea what they would do if they didn't have to show up at work every day. Yeah, I think that's probably true. And, you know, you make a good point about people thinking they're too young to have to start thinking about that. I think that's a common misconception, is that this is something you start, you know, yeah, later in life. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it, if, if I was to say to an advisor, okay, tell your clients they don't have to start planning their retirement until two years before their intended retirement date. They tell me I was crazy, that it's at least a five or ten year process, if not longer. Yeah. So why wouldn't the same logic apply to their own retirement? Yeah, and you know, in terms of a succession plan, what's the importance of having a written succession plan in place? Well, for the same reason that we would have a written succession or a written retirement plan in place for our clients. Um, it, it causes us to think about the process, first of all. It causes us to think about the strategy, to uh, create a timeline, drive some stakes in the ground, have some milestones. It gives us direction. Uh, so, so for the very same reasons that advisors would want to have, have a written plan. I mean, the truth of it is most advisors who are contemplating succession from the business today have been building their practice for 20, 25, 30, 35 years or more. And to me, it just makes sense to want to be in control of how I transition out of the business. And having a written plan then gives me that direction. Uh, and it also informs other people uh, around me, my, my family, my, my team at, at the office, and even my clients as to what my plan is. And that reassures all of them as well. So what would be the process for creating a succession plan? Are there particular steps that, you know, that the standard process for going through creating a succession plan? Yeah, I think there are, there are a couple of elements or nuances to it that uh, perhaps are slightly different than, uh, than most people might think. But the truth is that the process is exactly the same one 
that advisors follow when they're counseling their clients. Um, tell me what it is that you want to happen down the road. In other words, when do you want to retire? What kind of lifestyle do you want, uh, et cetera, and, and take stock of where we are today, and then how do we close the gap between where we are and where we want to be at some point in the future. So that's essentially the process. Because of the emotional aspects for advisors about leaving their life's work behind, the other step that I always put in there is, you have to prepare yourself on two dimensions, financially and emotionally. So being financially prepared, often, of course, if we're better prepared financially, our emotions are improved uh, towards our contemplated exit or transition from the business. So preparing ourselves financially, regrettably, in the financial uh, advisory business, many advisors have created a great lifestyle practice that affords them a wonderful lifestyle now but they've not built up any long-term enterprise value in their practice that they can rely on. And in many cases, they are relying on the sale of their practice to fund them the majority, if not all, of their own retirement. So getting prepared financially, doing uh, their own number, calculating their own number, so to speak, as to what they need in order to meet their retirement lifestyle objectives, and then getting themselves ready emotionally, getting themselves geared up for the fact that uh, you know they don't have to show up every day. The clients will be just fine if they choose their successor carefully and leave them in good hands, um, and that they will find something fulfilling to do afterwards, ideally plan it in advance. But So that the first two steps are prepare yourself financially, prepare yourself emotionally, and then to determine the exit date. And I, uh, Most advisors don't circle a date on a calendar and at 5 o'clock on that particular day walk out the door. It's a process. It's not an event. Uh, but we need to have some stakes in the ground to give ourselves and those around us some indication of our timing. So I, see, I always suggest to advisors, pick two dates. One I describe as the earliest possible, and the second is the latest acceptable. So the earliest possible date I could retire is usually driven by my financial uh, condition. I may not want to retire by this date, but if I had to, I could. The latest acceptable is more of an emotional decision. This is as long as I feel I want to do this job. And this is the point at which I think I can optimize the value of my practice and leave my clients in the best hands. So that's step number three is to determine that exit date. Step number four is to pick the exit option. There are a whole bunch of them out there that range all the way from doing nothing, just kind of fading away, to uh, bringing in a successor uh, from the family, a son, a daughter, a brother, uh, some other relative. Um, it could be a partial exit, very popular for advisors to say, I'm going to transition out of the business over a two to three year period by you know, just working with a small number of select clients and, uh, and handing the rest off to someone else. Um, so that's kind of step number four, is to pick the best exit option. Uh, number five is to choose the successor. This is a very important step, obviously, because this is the person that you are uh, in, in trusting your legacy with. It's the person who's going to carry on your good work uh, after many, many years of you doing it. So you want to choose them carefully. I think, let's just talk about valuation for a minute because I think that's a step where a lot of advisors kind of start is they want to put a dollar value on their practice. And you hear sometimes people saying, well, it's two times trailers or it's three times trailers. Is it as simple as that? Well, regrettably, it has been as simple as that, but it is getting far more complicated. And the reason it's getting more complicated is that buyers are starting to become a lot more selective. 
Um, certainly in the beginning when we started to actually attach value to financial advisory practices, those types of rules of thumb such as you describe were very popular. They were convenient, they were easy, and they gave people some point of reference. The problem with them is that they don't recognize that there could be a substantial difference between two practices with either the same asset level, the same revenue level, the same number of clients, and so on. One could be remarkably profitable and well run, and one could be disastrously run and not profitable at all uh, beyond providing a lifestyle for the advisor. So using those simple rules of thumb, um, I, in my view, are no longer adequate. It requires a more scientific approach that looks at the value of the business going forward uh, in terms of its future earning potential in the same way that we would evaluate any other investment. So there's a lot more science has come into practice valuation than there was as recently as three to five years ago. So are there things that an advisor can do, say, five to ten years away from their optimal retirement date to increase the value of their business? Yes, absolutely. There are, there are a number of things that they can do. And the good news is that anything they would do to improve the value of their practice for their eventual exit will serve them well today. So there are things such as, and the big one, the really big one is uh, to increase the amount of recurring revenue. When a prospective purchaser looks at a practice, what they are assessing is the likelihood that the recurring revenue or the revenue being generated by that practice will continue after the sale is complete. So to the, to the extent that we can reduce the risk to that future anticipated income, um, then we increase the value. So certainly if, um, if, we can, if you're in the investment management side of the business, um, having a, um, a fee-based arrangement in place with clients uh, works toward having uh, ongoing revenue that a purchaser can count on. Uh, any other kind of uh, recurring consistent revenue through fee-based planning that's done on an annual basis, uh, renewal commissions from life insurance policies and so on, all of those things contribute to uh, the confidence that an advisor would have who is purchasing the practice and hence will increase the value. There are many other things as well. Having, for example, a diversified client base uh, is important so that there's not a great risk that if one client leaves uh, that they will uh, take a large chunk of the revenue out of the practice. Um, we also would like to have a variety of products in place uh, we would like to have systems and processes in place that someone can can take over. Um, the age of the client base obviously has an impact. Um, typically, all other things being equal, a practice with an average client age of 55 will sell for more than one with an average client age of 70. It just makes sense. There's more future business opportunity with the 55-year-old client base than there is with the 70-year-old. So definitely, there are a number of things that advisors can do if they're willing to start the process five to ten years in advance. Um, I always describe that if you're willing to give it five to ten years as a strategy of inspiration. So we can think about what we're trying to accomplish and then put a strategy in place that's most likely to lead us there over time. Hmm. So what's the market like right now? We know that it's an aging advisor population just as it's an aging everyone population. This huge cohort of baby boomers are all moving towards retirement. Is it a buyer's market right now, a seller's market? How would you describe that? 
Yeah, I would say it is very definitely a seller's market today, um, but not because practices are out there uh, dripping with revenue that advisors want to pick up. Many advisors are simply looking for assets or bulk, something to increase the scale of their business. Uh, because costs are rising, as we all know, and, and margins are declining um, as we move, for example, to lower compensation products like, like ETFs and, and others like that, um, advisors are being squeezed. And so size does matter. And to the extent that we can uh, create some economies of scale by building out the practice without having to invest large amounts of money in new personnel or infrastructure, uh, then, then we, that's a strategy we should probably pursue. So right now, it is a seller's market. There are definitely many more buyers than there are sellers. Uh, but what I've seen over the past couple of years, as I mentioned earlier, is that the buyers are becoming a lot more discerning about the type of practices that they want to buy. And I actually do see the day, and I don't think it's that far, two to three years down the road, when it will switch. We will have more sellers than buyers. Hmm. So now's a good time to sell if you're within, say, five years of your ideal date. Well, it, it's interesting you say that because I just finished writing an article on that very topic, when's a good time to sell. Um, we don't want to talk about market timing and say that you know the market's no. high now and therefore you should sell. That's not a good strategy. Um, you should sell when you can get the maximum value and when you are ready to exit the business. That's the simple answer. Um, and it's so, also yes. a good time for, for somebody who's looking to grow by acquisition. It's a good time for them to be out it looking. Is. It is if they can find the right practice, right? If they can find right. the right uh, mix of clients that's compatible with their own uh, philosophy from the selling advisor that's consistent with their own and so on. There are many qualifications that we would look at to determine whether or not there was a good fit. Many of the okay, practices well, that are out there for sale, just let me make this comment, many of the sure. practices that are out there for sale, unfortunately, don't have much value in the hands of another advisor. As I've indicated, they've provided a good lifestyle for the current advisor, but if there's not a deep relationship, if there's not something that ties uh, the clients to the practice, when that founding advisor walks out the door, there's a very good prospect that many of the clients will follow. Well, that's an interesting point because it is such a relationship-based business that I think that's a big stumbling block for some advisors in considering their eventual exit in that these clients have become friends over the years and, you know, it's hard for them to imagine handing these friends off to somebody else. So I think that's, that's a very good point that uh, you have to have some connection. Yeah, and often the new advisor, you know, it, it, it finds it a challenge to establish the same level of relationship um, as the founding advisor had and has built up over years, for example. So just to put in a plug for our own uh, succession planning program that IFP has, that's, I think, the advantage of a program like Coming Up Next, which is our business continuity and succession planning program, is that it does have... Uh, built-in algorithm to match you with a practice that is a good fit for you culturally and in terms of, uh, you know, who you are as an advisor. Sure, and I think that's a great uh, capability and, and functionality that you've offered to your members, for sure. There is no, you know, there's no, uh, there's no large market that we can look at. You know, it's not like the stock market where we can go look up every day 
um, past performance of a practice or um, you know what they're trading for uh, and that sort of thing. So having a facility such as you've described uh, creates that kind of um, focus point or resource center where we can find that stuff out. Right. Is there any other parting words that you can give for advisors who are considering whether or not they should be getting on board and getting a written succession plan in place? Um, I would I would just say that you know you you've got to get to it. Um, the, the truth of the matter is that advisors will exit their business someday. Uh, the question is, are they going to be in control of that exit, or are they going to allow fate and circumstance to kind of dictate what happens to the business they've spent so many years building? That's all the time we have for today. My thanks to our guest, George Hartman, and thanks to you for joining us. You can make sure you never miss an episode of this podcast by subscribing on iTunes or SoundCloud, and you can catch up on past episodes on either of those platforms or by visiting our website at www.ifbc.ca. I'm Nancy Allen. Thanks for listening.